This is Connor. And this is Tom. And welcome to Silver Screamers, your decade hopping, genre jumping, oh my god, is that Seth Rogen, Donnie Darko podcast. Get it, hopping. It's a rabbit. That was very clever. You, you came up with that, well done. So, how are you, Connor? Too bad, Paul. How's your week been? It was good. We had a nice week this week. We went to the Adams Family Musical on Friday. Oh yeah, that was really fun. It was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, it was really good. It was. It was really good. Years ago, I went to New York and it was on Broadway and I wanted to see it. But my parents, I was with my parents and they wanted to see The Lion King, which was also really good. But uh, yeah, I finally came to Dublin and it was. It was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really good. The only musical I've ever seen in London, I think, unfortunately, was Shrek the musical. And it was it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't kind of one of the ones that you'd go to London to see. It was much more for children. But I would have thought the Adams Family was for children as well, but this was quite blue, actually, which is fun for us, but probably not so much fun for the, the parents. Yeah, a lot of people said, I didn't think so. I thought it was more tongue-in-cheek, like a Pixar Disney film. Like, it was more innuendo than... It was subtext. Innuendo. <laughs> but anyway, we're not here to talk about the Adams Family, though maybe we will at some stage. I'd love to do a musical podcast at some stage. But we're here today, or this is our first episode, because we last week was kind of our... I guess last week was like our pilot episode, right? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, I don't know, is this episode one or two? I feel like if this was a comic book, this would be our issue one, and like last week would be our issue zero. Okay. <laughs> okay, we made two mistakes on, the, no, we made one mistake on the last podcast that we want to just clear up here now. Uh, we mentioned 22 films in that podcast, no, 24 films, because we each mentioned 12 films each, so we didn't do as much research on those films as we are going to do for these, so we made a mistake called... Kate Capshaw's character from Indiana Jones, Winnie, which of course it's Willie, and I can't believe that I got that wrong. I know that her name is Willie, but we called her Winnie. Yeah, you made that mistake. I don't want you lumping me in with these mistakes if they happen. <laughs> I need to be responsible for our own mistakes. Fine, fine. I made that mistake, though you didn't correct me. That's fine. But um, and we also we thought um, this isn't a mistake. This is more of a kind of an. Um, addition when we came up with our criteria for our list which i don't think is going to come into effect the list isn't going to be important for a few weeks but we initially had script we said soundtrack and then we said score and of course those two things are different but i think we're going to just put them together from and call that music we said cinematography uh we're going to add direction to that so it's going to be direction and cinematography and then we thought maybe just of including overall enjoyment so sometimes a film can take all the boxes but you're just really bored yeah, and sometimes it works the other way around. You might have, you know, really good direction and that's actually the same thing that you just said. But <laughs> well, we need some reason to get Hocus Pocus high up on the list. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. I recorded that last night. It was on TV again. <laughs> yeah, even though I think we have it on DVD anyway. But, you know, just so that if we don't have to reach for the DVD cupboard some night, we can just put it out. Yeah, but I think overall enjoyment, I mean, essentially you are going to the cinema or getting a DVD or doing other kind of things online for the overall enjoyment so if the overall enjoyment is good but the direction or other things are bad then you might score quite highly and equally if the direction is good but the overall enjoyment is less then you could still score it adequately but probably not quite as high yeah absolutely so we're going to start up and our first theme for our first loads uh, of podcasts is going to be cult films c-u-l-t cult films which is kind of open why did we choose cult films to do first? Why did we do that? 
I don't know. We were having dinner and we just came up with cult films. I don't know why. And I don't actually know. This is something I should have looked up before, which I meant to look up. But what is actually the definition of a cult film? A cult film would be a film that maybe on its release wasn't embraced that much, but has over time developed a cult following for whatever reason. A lot of the time, cult films aren't particularly good from a kind of an artistic point of view, maybe, but they, there could be something else enjoyable. Like Showgirls would be a good example of a film that's, you know, pretty widely accepted to be awful, but very enjoyable. Well, don't give away the next few weeks' episodes before we decide on them. <laughs> I mean, there's hundreds of cult films, and it's very subjective. I mean, anything you could say a lot of things are cult films. And not all of them, because the one we do today, the one we're going to do today is Donnie Darko, just from 2001. And I would think Donnie Darko would be, would be widely considered quite a, a good film. Um, I would think so. And like it's got a huge cast for what you would expect a cult film to have. I would normally associate them with lower budget films, you know, with probably actors who are debuting or, you know, it's their first feature film. But um, yeah, this is this is a star studded cast by in by all respects. Quick chat before we go into the beat by beat. What is your history with this film? You, you, you did see it before. This isn't your first time yet. I've seen this a few times at this stage. I think I saw it back in 2001 or very soon after it came out. I can't remember if it was in the cinema over here. But um, yeah, I saw it quite soon after it was released and I did not understand the film at all. I did not know what was going on. Now, I was, I suppose I was 17 when it came out. That can't be an excuse though. I watched it probably three times before I actually kind of understood what was going on i had to kind of give it watch it give it a while come back to it and then watch it again and then eventually i think i got what was going on and then i watched it again last night and then i'm totally confused again <laughs> i don't think i was too confused i think i got most of it i remember i first heard of it when it was coming out on dvd so i think it was in the cinemas it came out just after 9 11 so i don't think any film did particularly well then uh, especially not because there's a kind of a, a plane scene in it. I remember it just being a really cool film and that like everybody wanted to watch it. And I used to work in a news agent where that sold newspapers and stuff around that time, or maybe a year or two after it was released. And they used to give away DVDs. They kind of went through this phase of giving away a DVD free with the newspaper. And normally they would be films that kind of, you know nobody really had kind of forgotten about you know like i think fried green tomatoes by the whistle stop cafe was one into the west was another but they were all kind of films that you know people had kind of forgotten about and then donnie darko came out which was a relatively new film which was a really cool film and i remember i had seen the film before but i remember that the, that sunday like everybody bought that paper um and i remember like stashing one of the dvds because we were able to take them at the end of the day because usually we didn't sell them all we could take some but i remember stashing one of the danny tarko ones robbing that's an admission of robbery from your old job uh, i don't actually feel too bad for not understanding it though because um both seth rogan and jake gyllenhaal admitted that they didn't really understand what was going on either <laughs> So uh, I don't feel too bad about that. Yeah, I, 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 I well, we'll go into the beep a bit um, in a bit, but I don't think it's that complicated. Um, I have a, I, I, well, we can talk about because there's a few. I mean, I think you can enjoy it without kind of going into real deep into what's exactly happening. Um, it got. I'm just looking at some scores it's gotten on some internet sites. Rotten Tomatoes, eighty six percent, and then the internet movie uh, IMBD, uh, IMDb. I can never say that. They got eight point one. So. 
pretty high marks very high marks all around <laughs> i've just touched my eye after cutting chilies <laughs> <laughs> this this is uh, this is a regular occurrence you shouldn't cut chilies before we do these podcasts yeah, i did wash my hands but um okay so i'm gonna go through the beat by beat now we open to see a young man asleep on the side of the road in his pjs cycles home to the killing moon by echo and the bunny man that's the soundtrack on the cinematic release and in the director's cut it's never tears apart by in excess i watched both actually versions for this critique which did did you which one did you watch con i think i watched the shorter version whichever one that was but i do have an interesting little bit of trivia on him cycling home when he cycles home a a red van passes him by and frank is actually in that van oh the the human frank human frank yeah (laughs) it would have been a bit obvious it was the rabbit (laughs) oh i didn't i didn't notice that very good very good Anyway, um, our, this young lad gets home um, and we meet his family. He goes to the fridge where he sees a where is Donny sign pinned to the door. Cut to dinner with the family where we meet his parents, Eddie and Rose, sisters Elizabeth and Sam. Elizabeth is played by uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake's, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's actual sister. Jake, of course, is playing Donny. And Elizabeth and Eddie argue over politics. We find out that Danny is in therapy and then Elizabeth tells her parents that he has stopped taking his meds. So do you know uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal actually had to audition for this? She wasn't just given the part because she was Jake Gyllenhaal's brother. And the director initially didn't actually want her to play the part. But her agent, I suppose, showed him uh, some old footage of her drinking urine in another movie and he kind of liked that for some bizarre reason and decided to go uh, with Maggie and he obviously decided that it would make good brother-sister rivalry between the two of them drinking urine like really drinking urine or just in the film I'm not sure I think it was in the film but I think it was real urine hmm (laughs) well how do you find the opener of the film yeah, I quite like it because when it opens initially, you just see Donny on the in the middle of the road. You don't. Uh, he's waking up, obviously, but he kind of has this wry smile on on his face, which kind of implies that he, this has happened before, or this is something that he's used to, or maybe that there's some sort of mischief afoot. I quite like the montage kind of cycling scene with the music. Um, uh, it kind of sets up this scene of uh, or this world of middle-class american suburbia that uh, that he lives in yeah so no, i think it's i think it's a good opener yeah i think it's a great opener i have to say i love the family i think they're just so likable from the first shot when we see eddie spray a leaf blower at uh, elizabeth that's elizabeth he blows it at isn't it i thought it was the mother at first but then you see the mother reading a stephen king book so i think it is elizabeth and then we see them arguing over dinner and even though they're arguing there's an uh, like even the fact that Eddie like laughs when uh, Donny curses, and I think I think the family are really charming. I really really like the family. Yeah, I think the the dad laughs when the little daughter asks, uh, "What's suck a fuck mean?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there's you can really see the the banter between Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal in that scene where they're telling each other to suck a fuck and go whatever it is uh, fuck ass or something. But uh, yeah, though there is a there is quite a warmth to them um sitting around dinner but very soon afterwards you see that there's quite a lot of uh trouble between donnie and at least the mother and possibly the rest of the family yeah donnie is clearly a troubled kid oh i think oh no i think i think the mother's like an amazing mum. anyway we'll get to that later um i love the line as well Uh, so donnie after that donnie goes up to his room and his mother confronts him and he calls her a bitch and then she says to the husband 
our son just called me a bitch and he says you're bitching but you're not a bitch that's a great line yeah that was a good line that was, it was it, yeah. <laughs> it's a good line <laughs> okay so that night we hear a spooky voice tell Danny to wake up the voice tells Danny I've been watching you and lures him outside Danny leaves the house and stares at a terrifying giant bunny rabbit the bunny says 28 days 6 hours 48 minutes 6 seconds that is when the world will end Elizabeth comes home through the front door we see the father is, uh, asleep at the television and we hear a massive crash that shakes the entire house the next morning two golfers wake Donny Darko who has fallen asleep on their course one of the men is Jim, Jim Cunningham played by Patrick Swayze uh, more on him later um, Donny walks home from the course and sees his house surrounded by police cars and a large crowd. He also sees a crane lifting an airplane engine from a hole in the house roof. Donny is greeted by his family who are delighted that he's alive and it's revealed that they don't know where the engine came from. There's been no reports of a plane that has lost an engine, which is slightly disturbing. And the family move into a hotel. The next day, Donnie goes, gets a bus into school with Sam, his sister Sam, and we meet his friends. And my personal favorite character, uh, Sharita. <laughs> Go back to China, bitch. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. And all she can say is, shut up, shut up for everything. <laughs> shut up. Does she have another line in the entire film apart from shut up? No, that's her only line. And... Uh, even when she's on stage, she does like an interpretive dance. So she actually has no other lines, I, as far as I can remember. But she's actually in Orange is the New Black now. Um, she must be the one that um, Piper bullies into being her bitch. I have no idea. I've only watched the first two seasons, so I don't. I haven't actually seen her in it. Okay, yeah, she's not a very big role. Very good. Well, uh, she does. Ha- she does have another line because she reads the card that later on. She le- reads the little card that um, Kitty gives her for the line but yeah she, that's, she doesn't have any proper lines I just love her but I'll talk about her later anyway then we get our second musical scene as they arrive to the school which is head over heels uh, tears for feels and and we kind of meet the rest of the, kind of the extended cast we meet Kitty who is the gym teacher and also a parent um, to one of Sam's friends we meet Jim and I'm going to talk about this later I don't know why Jim is here but we'll talk more about Jim I have lots of questions about Jim and we see sparkle motion um, which are Sam's dance group. Uh, we also see the English teacher, who's Karen, played by Drew Barrymore. And we see the science teacher. I can't remember his name. What's his name? The science teacher. He's kind of boring and irrelevant. And at the English class, Karen was teaching, and new girl Gretchen arrives, and Karen tells her to sit next to the boy she thinks is the cutest, which is, of course, Donnie. Can I just say right now that I love uh, the actress that plays Kitty? the gym teacher <laughs> i love it her name's beth grant and i have a very fond recollection of her in sabrina the teenage witch where she was uh, serving them burgers or she was working in some diner or whatever and she just uh, they leave her a, a quarter uh, as a tip and she goes oh well it looks like i'm getting steak tonight and they say somebody says something about the pinball machine man and she goes oh the pinball machine man always served you burger and fries the pinball machine man guy and she's just very funny i like her yeah she's fantastic in this she's there's two quotes in this film and she has the other quote that i love can you guess what that is connor uh probably about her dedication to sparkle motion 
Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. It's just, yeah, she's hilarious. She's horrible, but she's hilarious. She is horrible, but she's been sort of tricked by Jim Cunningham as well. But she's allowed herself to be tricked. But I also liked her scene uh, with the chalkboard where she's <laughs> where she's talking about the, the love-hate line. Um, what do you think of Gretchen? Gretchen is the love interest. She arrives at this stage. Um, she reminds me of Kirsten Stewart. She does have a look of Kirsten Stewart about her. She's kind of pale, with kind of pale makeup. Um, I suppose, angsty teenager. Not that Kristen Stewart is typecast as an angsty teenager or anything. But I don't, I, I do like her. She comes across quite nice, but she doesn't come across as somebody with a lot of personality for me. The The interaction with her and Jake Gyllenhaal in the first, the first time they meet where he walks her home, that's quite nice and there is a bit of chemistry there. But apart from the look about her, which is, I suppose, similar character to Kristen Stewart's character in Twilight, I suppose. Yeah, what do you think of the scene where Drew Barrymore tells her to sit next to the boy she thinks is cutest? Oh, Drew Barrymore annoys me a bit in this film. Karen is the character's name. I, she kind of strikes me as this teacher who's, I'm so cool and I'm strict because she tells them when they start laughing, she's like, quiet! And then she tells them her to sit, let her choose. Oh no, she kind of, that's a terrible thing to, to put Gretchen through on her first day at school. And then, like, she gets the other girl just to sit up anyway like so where is she gone to sit it's just it's weird she does annoy me a bit Drew Barrymore's character does annoy me a bit in that scene but uh, she I I think it works I think I think it's it's a good scene it sets up Donnie and Gretchen I feel sorry for the girl who's told to get up off her arse and move and she's probably sitting in the corner or something but overall, I, I quite liked how uh, Drew Barrymore's character comes across. And it's only that the director and Drew Barrymore agreed that her production company would produce the film, uh, that she plays that character. Yeah, I don't know, she just kind of gets in my wick a bit. Um, that, just that line, not really her in the film, just that particular scene, I just think is a bit... I don't know, it just, it just rubs me up the wrong way. Um, anyway, after after school, uh, Eddie drops Donnie to his counsellor, Dr. Thurman, but on the way, they nearly knock over an old lady with their car who lives in a kind of spooky mansion. Um, the old lady is nicknamed Grandma Death, and every day she goes to check her mailbox, but every day it's empty. When Donnie gets to his counsellor, he tells her, Dr. Thurman, he tells her about Frank, the bunny rabbit he met the night before. The next day we see kitty farmer the gym teacher showing students a self-help video by jim cunning cunningham a guru who believes in choosing life of love over fear that night frank wakes donnie up and he leaves house with an axe the next day we see the school is cancelled because of flooding donnie rescues gretchen from school bullies and she reveals her stepdad has stabbed her mum, leaving them to move away and take on new identities um which makes me wonder why she ever chose the name gretchen which I think is the ugliest name <laughs> in the world. Sorry if there's any Gretchens listening. There's nobody listening, let's be honest. Um, maybe it's, uh, I think she's probably trying to be ironic, finding the beauty in an ugly name or something like that. You know, teen angsty, Christian Stewarty. What are your first impressions about Grandma Death? Eh, I'm kind of ambivalent towards her. She's, yeah, I don't really have much of an opinion of her. She's more of a plot device than a character. But later on, do you think her presence is important? She, she seems to know something. She whispers something in Donnie's ear. Um, and we don't find out a bit later on what that is. So she seems to know something 
that nobody else knows. Yeah, maybe we'll come come to that at the end when we kind of talk about the plot as a whole, because um, we have a few theories to to bash off each other about actually what's happening <laughs> in the film, and I think Grandma Dead is probably instrumental. A few days later, the police are trying to track down who flooded the school. And um, a bully accuses Donnie of ratting him out. He holds a knife to Donnie's throat and then pushes him away. There is a PTA meeting held to discuss the recent attack. And Kitty, who is both a teacher and a parent, blames the short story that Karen has been teaching for the vandalism. Uh, While the PTA meeting is occurring, Donnie has another vision of Frank who asks him, does he believe in time travel? So that's the first time we hear of time travel. The next day, Kitty has another Uh, Jim Cunningham self-help class and this time she asks the students to take part but Donnie rejects such a simplistic idealism. We have a hard cut to the principal's office where she reveals he told her to insert the exercise card into her anus. (laughs) Rose chats with Kitty and Katie accuses Rose of of neglecting her duties as a mother. Again, why I love Beth Grant the way she says that he told me to insert this card into my anus. And apparently the director had to leave the set when she said that because he was laughing so hard. Yeah, it's great. And I love Eddie. And I think that's a real laugh from um, Eddie, uh, whoever played Eddie. Uh, Holmes, Osborne. That's a real laugh. Oh, definitely. I don't know how you could be sitting there and laugh. <laughs> but that's the second time he giggles at uh, curse language. which means <laughs> like cursing. His daughter curses and then this uh, teacher curses. So I suppose that they're both inappropriate people cursing and uh, he gets a little snigger in. Yeah. But how oh how awful is Kitty to, to Rose? Like Rose has opened that her son is clearly having some issues and um yeah, Kitty is like yeah, it's a horrible like puts her down as a mother and poor Rose, she's so upset. She just stops herself shy of saying, I question your ability as a mother. So she is quite a horrible evil character she's the worst she's awful she's the worst she's the worst but she's been she's been totally consumed and misled by this jim cunningham lad okay so maybe we'll talk about jim cunningham now no actually we'll wait because we're coming up to his kind of his big scene okay so the next day donnie discusses time travel with his science teacher kenneth um, and kenneth gives donnie a book called the philosophy of time travel that was written by a that was written by a past t- uh, teacher called Roberta Sparrow, who turns out to be Grandma Death. And while watching TV that night, Donnie sees portal-like tubes emerge from his family's chests, and that seem to show the path they are about to walk. One emerges from his own chest and leads him to his parents' bedroom, where he finds a gun. And when we see a gun in a film, we know it has to be fired. That's the rules. I there's parts of this okay so whenever Donny is um seeing frank or this what they call portal or wormhole that exudes from his chest he always seems to be in this kind of trance and i'm not sure is it the medication that he's on that's doing this uh, making him drowsy making him hallucinate or is it something else is it part of him is it like a schizophrenic kind of thing or what's going on there no i the thing is, we know that this isn't all a psychosis because because we've seen we see the whole film, so we know there is some mojo happening. I think he is seeing the fabric of reality kind of break down, and he's seeing things perhaps because of his condition. He is seeing these things happen around him. So no, I don't think it's just 
I don't think he's hallucinating. I think he is seeing things because it leads him to the gun. Uh, the next day, Rose and Eddie meet with Dr. Thurman, who tells them about his daylight hallucinations, which could be a sign of schizophrenia. So he suggests upping his medication, which they agree to. And then we see Jim Cunningham, uh, the self-help guru, give a talk with the students. Most of them seem to be accepting, but Donnie Darko stands up and then accuses him of being full of shit. Uh, and then all the students then seem to agree with him and cheer on Donnie as he's let out. Now, I want this is where I want to talk, because I'm really confused about Jim Cunningham and his role why is he always in the school like if he is uh, it may from this scene it seems like he is a local man who became a celebrity because of his videos and he seems to have a wide appeal and this is uh, he's been invited to the school to to do this talk this one time but we see him on the first day of school or not the first day of school but the first day that we go to the school we see him there um, we see him judge the talent competition he just seems to be in the school like constantly so it feels like he's actually a teacher in the school i'm, I'm kind of confused well i suppose he is a local celebrity um so they probably do get him to judge a local talent show it's a small town there's probably not a lot of people around or i assume it's a small town he is probably there on the first day of school i assume by invitation from kitty the pe teacher because she is quite infatuated with him yeah having just said this out loud <laughs> and um realizing what we find out about jim coming home i think i've answered my own question and it's really gross uh, it's also gross that you just called him coming him cunning um oh man he's just lingering around the school because he's a dirty old man but he wasn't that old was he <laughs> patrick swayze give him a break I don't think against Patrick Swayze. I actually think he's a fan. he's really good in this film. But um, yeah, poor Patrick Swayze. Poor Patrick Swayze. Poor Patrick Swayze. Anyway, Donnie discusses with both Gretchen and Doctor Thurman um, that his hallucinations are exactly what are being described within Grandma Death's book. Gretchen and Donnie share their first kiss and go to the cinema. When Gretchen falls asleep, Frank appears beside them. He takes off his bunny head and we see uh, he is a young man with a bloody eye socket. He tells Donnie to burn Jim Cunningham's house to the ground. He sneaks out of the cinema and is back before Gretchen wakes. As this is happening, the school talent show is on. Sharita does an uh, an interpretive dance. Oh, her interpretive dance. (laughs) Before Sam and her dance group Sparkle Motion do a fabulous dance to Duran Duran's Notorious. And I know you love that, Connor. It's fabulous. I wish I was a, a member of Sparkle Motion. Uh, I really like Sharita's dance. It's gorgeous, and you can you can really see that she is this really introverted, quiet person who's pouring her heart out in this beautiful dance. And then somebody just shouts, "Get off the stage, Sharita!" Yeah, but she does get a round of applause, and I feel like you know. She was accepted and she looks so sweet then when she's sitting outside in her little angel outfit. What a fantastic production for like a local talent because she has all the, the backdrop on the birds and then Sparkle Motion have lovely costumes and stuff. Say what you want about Kitty, but she can choreograph a, a routine <laughs> and she's good taste in music. Okay, I, I, there was actually a, few, a series of coincidences um, when, I, when we decided to pick this film. I did a bit of research on the actress who plays Sharita, who's Jolene uh, Purdy. I didn't realise she was in Orange is the New Black until you mentioned it. I must have just skipped that. Clearly very 
in-depth research you did. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't notice that. But I did notice that she was in Under the Dome, which I've only just literally a week or two ago started reading the book of. I watched the first couple episodes of that when it was on TV. I think it only lasts for two series, but uh, I don't remember who she was. I heard it wasn't great, though. She's quite striking looking, though. There was another, uh, only two or three weeks ago, I, I read the quote from Tolkien about Cellar Door being the most beautiful for sentence and um, then it appears in this film as well so some little coincidences there you go and that cellar door was from some 1955 essay that Tolkien wrote uh, but actually apparently in the director's cut the director got it wrong he said it was Edgar Allan Poe oh really oh okay that's interesting it sounds like something that you would totally disagree with about cellar door why does that sound like something I totally disagree with I could just imagine you saying Nah, Salador is not a beautiful phrase. I did actually think that when I heard it. <laughs> I don't think it's a particularly beautiful phrase. Just close your eyes and then just think of the sound. Let it wash over your ears. Salador. Salador. <laughs> no? Well, you're not cellaring it to me. The next day, um, it's revealed that the fire that Donnie started exposed a stash of kiddie porn. And Jim is arrested. Karen is fired from her job uh, for her unorthodox methods. She defends herself, but the uh, principal puts his foot down. And she lets out a big profanity in front of Sharita. Um, We also see then that Sparkle Motion have been invited to LA to compete in a talent competition. But Kitty is distraught because she then finds out about Jim's arrest. She is determined to defend him. Uh, she's convinced that there's a conspiracy. So uh, because of that, she can't chaperone the girls to L.A. So she asks Rose. But Rose isn't so sure. So we get the best line in the whole film. Uh, sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Connor, sometimes I doubt your commitment to silver screamers. <laughs> it's episode two. Give me a break. Jesus. Or episode one or whatever. We, we, we'll see how it goes. Um, anyway, Rose relents and agrees to chaperone, leaving Donnie alone because uh, Eddie is away in New York. She tells Donnie Elizabeth is in charge and Donnie asks her, how does it feel to have a wacko for a son? And she says, in the most heartwarming moment, it feels wonderful. Oh, how lovely is Rose? She, she's so lovely. I think that actress is so like uh, Annette Benning. I thought it was Annette Benning. It's Mary MacDonald. She's very like Annette Benning, isn't she? She does look like an epony, but she's uh, she is an Oscar nominee. Uh, she was nominated for two Oscars. One was Dance, Dances with Wolves, and the other one was Passion Fish. Passion Fish, <laughs> <laughs> the great classic. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. That actress actually was in. Battlestar Galactica, which I used to watch. She was the president in that. And she was also the vice president in Independence Day. Sorry, not the vice president, the first lady. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, and interestingly, Frank was also in Independence Day. Oh, was he the son of the guy who kamikazes and kills all the aliens? Yes. James Duval is his name. I did not, well, I, I did not know that. Very good, very good. Yeah, no, she's fantastic. I really like her. I just love the Darko family. Um, she has a, she has a, I think she has an odd manner about her. I think her acting style is kind of unusual or something. Distinctive. Quite distinctive, and there's a reservedness about it. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I thought she had this warmth that I really liked. Um, I th- yeah, I thought she was lovely. 
Anyway, in a session with Dr. Thurman, uh, Donnie panics and reveals that soon the sky will open and Frank is going to kill. Dr. Thurman reassures him but is very concerned. She tries to contact Rose and Eddie but they are both away. When Donnie goes home, Elizabeth reveals that she got into Harvard. They decide to throw a Halloween party to celebrate. Gretchen arrives to the party but is upset as her mother is missing. They go upstairs and I think, I presume they have sex then, right? It's heavily implied. You don't see anything. I thought you might see something in the director's cut, but it's heavily implied. No, you don't really see anything in the director's cut. Danny's not the most gentlemanly in this scene. I know he's kind of going through <laughs> going through a few things, but, you know, that's pretty traumatic. Her mother's missing and the house is wrecked and he goes up and takes her virginity, presumably. <laughs> I don't know. Kristen Stewart's a randy bitch. <laughs> Well, you don't know. I mean, they, they, they go upstairs, I think, to be alone and out of the party because she is upset. Whether or not he intended then on something happening or whether she wanted something to happen, I don't think it's very clear. Yeah. Also, does she say that the police told her to just be quiet and make herself scarce? Like, what, a 16-year-old kid comes and her mother's missing and uh, who is who has been taken to a different town to change her name because of her violent stepfather and the police say... Just keep your head down, though. <laughs> That's, that is bad police force. <laughs> Sometimes children just need to be told to shh. Shh, yeah. Um, those, those police were just having... They had Halloween plans and they didn't want to be bothered. That is actually one plot point, I suppose, which isn't really resolved. No, it's not resolved at all. It's, it's actually, it, to be honest, it doesn't, need, it doesn't give anything to the story that her she has a, a troubled backstory. Um, it doesn't give anything to the story. She could just be... The new girl. I guess it's nice to give her some vulnerability. But. Yeah, you never actually see her mother or father or any anything out of anything besides what she tells us about her family life. There's nothing. There's no visual imagery in the film about that. Mm. Anyway, Elizabeth states, um, and then we see on the fridge a message saying that Frank has gone out to get more beer. Donnie tells Gretchen time is running out and they have to go to see Grandma Death. They break into her house but are attacked by bullies. Uh, a car approaches and swerves to avoid hitting Grandma Death, who is walking to her mailbox. As it swerves, the car hits Gretchen and kills her instantly. The drivers of the car emerge and we hear a voice say, Frank, what did you do? The driver of the car is wearing a giant bunny suit. Donnie pulls out a gun, his gun and shoots Frank in the eye. Donnie drives to the top of the hill and sees a massive and sees a massive black cloud. As this is happening, Rose and Sam are flying home and their plane hits turbulence. The plane engine comes off and falls through a time portal. We then see flashes of the last 28 days as we hear a letter that, that Donnie has written to Roberta. We cut to Donnie laughing hysterically in his bedroom and we see Eddie asleep in the sitting room, Elizabeth coming home and we realise we're back 28 days. The engine crashes into the house except this time Donnie did not leave his room and is killed. We see all the main characters of the film um, over the sound uh, over the song Mad World by Gary Jules and Michael Andrew. We see Dr. Thurman is woken and startled. We see Karen and that teacher whose name I can't remember in bed together. We see Jim crying and very distraught. Clearly his self-help is a farce. We also see Kitty looking lost, hinting that she's not as zen as she claims. Interestingly, we see Chen looking very content. And we see Frank designing his bunny costume. He gently touches his eye, hinting that there is some sort of lingering 
feeling of the last 28 days or the time shift. We see Donnie's body removed from the house the next morning and his family are grieving. Gretchen cycles by and asks a little boy what happened. She waves to Rose and though in this timeline they never met, Rose waves back, sensing a connection. And that's the end of the film. He just bombarded us with a whole load of scenes and imagery there and uh, yeah, that's the end of the film. Bye bye folks. Mm, well, there you are. Uh, there's a lot of characters in this film and they all have arcs and then it's interesting because when the time paradox happens when we go back to the start effectively they're they haven't done their arc so in the if donnie dies and um that means that gretchen gets to live um, and frank gets to live yet jim will go for the rest of his life well you know he 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 hasn't been exposed as a pedophile and all these things haven't happened and it's interesting which which timeline do you think is the the better timeline yeah it's hard to say uh i suppose frank referring to the world ending is probably his world ending and maybe donnie's world ending insofar as gretchen is run over by the car in a pretty gruesome scene but you're right there are other people's lives which have either been affected or will not be affected as a result of uh, Donnie traveling back in time. But he obviously makes the decision that Gretchen living and him not being a murderer are a better option. Okay, so I don't think Donnie has had any choice in this. There was some sort of time anomaly where there was there was another universe, a parallel universe was created. And most people in this didn't know that they're in a parallel universe, but Donnie did and he and there was various people in this path that because it, they mentioned a few times that these universes do sometimes happen but they're unstable and they can only last a few weeks i.e 28 days and they mentioned like there was like some sort of angel or some sort of person who had special powers um the fire water and strength and donny kind of uses fire and water and then does he use strength ever this doesn't seem to be in the version that I watched. <laughs> Do you know when he's having these flashes and we see um, we see all these flashes and he, he sees like the the things that Grandma Death wrote in her book, and uh, so I think he I think this was inevitable and that the the metal um, of the the engine came from the second universe and was transported to the first. And I think, so that was like a, a miniature universe that was created just for 28 days. And Donnie was the only one who could see that it happened. And I think in another time period, Grandma Death was the Donnie Darko character, only she didn't die. I think that's what's meant to have happened. That's what I think. I, I'm not explaining it very well because it's kind of confusing, but I think that's what it is. Oh, you said, oh, I wasn't find this, didn't find this movie confusing at all. <laughs> I don't, I think that he chose to go back. I, the impression that I had was that events of him being alive have led to Gretchen's death and him killing Frank and he got a glimpse into that future so that when it did happen he could then choose to go back to correct those things from and stop prevent those things from happening but we don't he doesn't have any agency at the end of the film he just watches it happen watches the airplane well, I think that I, the impression that I got was that he was able to go into one of these portals in order to be transported back. Or maybe. So when you when he wakes up in his bed, or doesn't wake up, but when he's back in his bed laughing, you think that he, it's almost as if he lived all that in his head, and now he's back in his head remembering everything that's happened in the in the 
proceeding 28 days it's just that he's back yeah yeah i think uh, yeah i think it was a parallel universe um and that it just existed for 28 days um that's what i kind of think but if he knew that that was going to happen he could have gotten out of bed and he could have saved himself instead he let himself die yeah okay perhaps then that's true uh and he let himself maybe he did let himself die then to save gretchen and to save frank but I still think that the that that's interesting, yeah. But I still think those twenty eight days that we saw were a parallel universe, because and that world ended when when the plane lost its engine. I think that world ended, and it was like a little little universe in its own way, just for those twenty eight days. And do you think that if he had saved himself and that universe had been allowed to continue, that there would have been this continuous loop, or do you think that it would have, because he would have, if he saved himself. He would have been effectively in the same position as he was 28 days on. And would that have then reverted back again? No, I think if he had saved himself, it would have just been those events happening in the original universe. But Gretchen would have died and Frank would have died. I'm not really sure, though. Maybe I'm more confused. Now that I'm talking about it, maybe I'm more confused. Time paradoxes are always confusing. (laughs) I did really enjoy it, though. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I thought it was a great movie. Um, Even in my confusion, it really made you think. I was a bit, just to back up a bit where you were talking about, you were kind of going through the beat by bit, the beat there, and you were talking about the final moments where, or the final few scenes, where he shoots Frank in the eye. He does that very quickly. He doesn't even, like, hesitate. He's just like, oh, you ran over Gretchen, bang. Yeah, and it wasn't his fault at all. It was the bully's fault or maybe no that wasn't grandma death's fault it wasn't frank's fault he was swerving to avoid grandma death that could have happened to his dad only a few weeks beforehand when they swerved to avoid her or kitty when she swerved to avoid her (laughs) yeah poor frank and clearly this is the guy who's been in the big scary bunny outfit for the last 28 days in donnie's head and he's seeing this guy now he doesn't really act very shocked so maybe at that stage he's kind of figured out what's going on or he doesn't care maybe because Gretchen's just lying there dead yeah I think he's just so overcome with with grief that he just reaches for his yeah I don't think he's even thinking about Gretchen it's just interesting that he pulls the gun so quickly on Frank but doesn't pull the gun on the bullies (laughs) I know he's pinned you can't kill Seth Rogen (laughs) it's the other guy with the funny moustache that's the yeah. I suppose he's the main bully, and Seth Rogen is is his debut film, so he's the the, the, the minor bully. <laughs> he's the grunt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, like Bebop and Rocksteady. I thought I think the the little pan of all the characters at the end is is very telling, because we do see Frank touch his eye, and we do see like there is an awareness there. Like I think Doctor Thurman Thurman kind of realizes something significant has happened. But just going back to Sharita, who who I love, doesn't she looks happy, right? And in, in that little pan at the end, she she is the only character who looks like really happy. So it's almost like she's happy in her own little world when she's on her own. Which is odd because she was in love with Donnie, so why would she be happy? Maybe because like he was the only one that was kind to her, so maybe, I don't know, because he, she sensed that he was free, or she has this angelic kind of presence about her. Donnie does grab her, uh, not violently but like he puts his hands on her and says something very nice to her what, what does he say it will get easier for you i think or yeah it's something like i promise everything will be good for you so maybe that has come back with her maybe that kind of reassurance from him has gone back with her 
I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. She should be in Sparkle Motion. <laughs> Actually, no, she doesn't need Sparkle Motion. No, she's way better in Sparkle Motion in some regards. She had that lovely interpretive dance. Yeah, I would say better on a, on a par. Artistically, she was better. Yeah. Yeah, she was really good. <laughs> you love her. I do. I think she's lovely. Um, is there anyone else that we want to talk about? Um, Patrick Swayze. We've mentioned him a bit. Patrick Swayze actually wore his original, his actual clothes from the 1980s during the, the, the <laughs> filming. Did you get a sense of the 80s from the film? Uh, insofar as every now and again it would say 1988, yes. <laughs> but from the clothes and from the music? and Not really. I didn't think it was particularly 80s looking. Uh, I do think Patrick Swayze's kind of white suit and uh, I think he had like a kind of red turtleneck sweater on that was very 80s but um apart from that i didn't really get an 80s vibe no yeah um i would agree like the hairstyle it could have been in the 90s and it was kind of it didn't have a time it, i didn't feel it had a real strong sense of the 80s apart from well that. maybe that's the point like it is a, a movie about time <laughs> but i think it was no it is set in 1988 so i think it is meant to what do you think of jake how did he do Jake Gyllenhaal as a as a main as a leading man. I thought he was perfectly serviceable, but I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, I. I. It was fine. I. I wasn't wowed by him. I. I actually thought watching it that a young Leonardo DiCaprio would have nailed this role better. Was it his first feature film? It was his first leading role. Yeah, I think it was certainly his his his. It sprung him to Hollywood. I've seen Jake in loads of films, and I, he's always been good. I've never seen Jake Gyllenhaal in a film and thought like, "Wow, that was a performance and a half." Interesting. I always think that he looks a bit young for the roles. Like he was, um, he was meant to have divorced Amy Adams like twenty years ago in Nocturnal Animals, and towards the I know Brokeback Mountain spans like a good thirty, twenty, or thirty years, but like towards the end of Brokeback Mountain, when he's meant to have grown up children, and he looks like twelve, just doesn't work. But in this film, I actually thought he looked a bit old for the role. Like he's, I know they do say he stayed back, so he's meant to be older than his peers. But like he looks decades older than his sister, Sam, who's meant to be only a year or two younger than him. No, Sam is meant to be about 12. I'd say he's meant to be sort of 17 or something. I think he looks fine age-wise for the role. He's 21. He's actually 21 when he's playing it. And he's maybe meant to be 17. I don't think he looks much older i think actually now i was looking at a, a picture of him uh recently and he's like three years older than me he's 36 and i think he i i get this impression that he's a lot older than me but he's actually only he's still only 36 he looks the exact same now than he did in gorgeous <laughs> well he's in the same in school he's in the same class as the little redhead girl who's in sparkle motion with sam and he's in the same class as sharita like he looks a lot older than them yeah, he does look older than them, but he doesn't look massively older. And if he has been kept back a year, plus sparkle motion, isn't nec- they're not all necessarily the same age. No, no, they're not, no. Yeah, he was good. Um, I think we've kind of talked about all the cast. So in terms of it being a cult and fitting into the theme that we are covering this month, why do you think it's become a cult classic? Well, this is the point. I, I, I wasn't sure what constituted a cult, but I mean, as you said, it wasn't uh, a big release. It wouldn't have been very well known. No, but why do you think people have been drawn back to it and to watch it over and over and over again? Just, it has a huge, big following now. Well, I think it's thought-provoking. Like we've just we've just discussed here, you, we, it, it's, you, you kind of get a sense of what it is and wha- what's happening, and then 
somebody says uh, some points out something else about it and then you go oh yeah that doesn't make sense and then you kind of start thinking about it again i think it's well acted i think the story is interesting i think the character arcs are 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 good except for gretchen seems to be go nowhere so overall i think yeah i think it's a it's a it's a good movie it's entertaining yeah i enjoyed it a lot um i really did enjoy it i haven't seen it in about 10 years and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I would watch it again sometime in the future. We don't have any films on our list. Um, but I am happy to put this at number one, Con. Oh, that was such hard work working out where this one would go. But yeah, this will go to number one. Um, I also think it was well directed. I thought the cinematography was quite nice. There was like a lot of different styles involved. Um, and a lot of kind of montages with, with music playing over, which kind of worked in it. Uh, sometimes that doesn't work but it did in this yeah the montages were brilliant they're really really good um, the script was good the music was brilliant not just the the songs but the actual there was this kind of spooky you know in the scenes where he was seeing frank and there was this kind of this kind of dun 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 dun, dun, dun and then the sounds when he was stabbing the kind of really really there were scenes in this film that were almost horror like when he's in the the scenes when he's getting hypnotized from dr thurman and he screams that he can see Frank now. That's a that's a scary scene, and I actually think there's a couple of scenes where, um, when he's looking at the camera, I got flashes of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. He had this kind of evil look, especially when he has the axe. Yeah, I I, I can see that. It's definitely un- unnerving. It, there's never a jump moment. There's never a, a sort of build up of music and tension leading to this jumpy kind of uh, release. There's it's always building up but frank is there and you just see him you don't uh, he doesn't like appear behind a door or anything like that i i did i jumped at the scene where jake screams um he i can see him now and then it just cuts to him and i jumped at that scene oh no i didn't i thought that was because i like you're looking at jake and he goes i can see him now and then it just you know then you just see him <laughs> yeah but i i actually didn't understand there's two things i didn't understand one was why he screamed because he didn't seem to be afraid of frank yeah but at this stage frank was starting to get more intense and was starting to talk about death and also at that stage he was hip being hypnotized so he was probably slightly less uh coherent and he, he, he yeah he realized that you know that frank told him that it was the end of the world <laughs> he told him that he was gonna kill <laughs> he was probably going okay maybe <laughs> maybe this is cause for concern and frank was bloody terrifying yeah it was pretty scary it was a horrible costume it was it was really really creepy and your man is meant to have created that himself yeah it's iconic actually i would say the donny darko costume is or the frank costume is iconic now i mean if you saw that at a halloween party you would know exactly what it is i imagine um we haven't picked a lot of films that we're going to do I think this is going to remain number one for a while, and I imagine it's going to stay near the top of our list for a while. Would you think that's fair? I think, f- as cult film goes, uh, cult films go. I think it's a, a strong start, and maybe we shouldn't have started so strong. No, I think that's good. It's good to be start strong. There's no lead up with us. We just go straight to the top. Yeah, well, there's, there's no, there's no shortage of good films. Um, the next we're we're, we're going to do a th- so this film is from two thousand and one. And we're not going to do any more films for Cult Month um, from the noughties. We're going to pick from different decades. And what we're going to do now is I'm going to make my suggestion for next week's film. And Connor's going to make his. And we're going to randomly pick it. So the film that I am nominating 
that we cover next week is Harold and Maud from 1971, which is a well, certainly, definitely a cult film. And what about you, Gun? So mine is uh, along the same vein as Donnie Darko. It's kind of creepy, and it's from 1990. It's Flatliners. It's about a group of doctors who get a thrill out of killing themselves over and over again, and then creepy things start to happen. And mine is about a 79-year-old lady and a 16, I think a 16-year-old chap who fall in love. So mine's a romantic comedy and yours is a horror film. So you couldn't really get more different from each other. Uh, and I have never seen Flatliners. I only, I know nothing more than the little synopsis you've said there. That's all I know. And I know nothing. I don't think I've ever seen Harold and Maude. So we're in for a treat this week. We both get to watch films that we haven't seen. Yeah. Well, one of us does. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have to flip a coin. huh? <laughs> We don't get to watch both of them, damn it. You, you can watch the one if it doesn't. Anyway, you can do whatever you want, Con. But um, I think next week, I don't think we're going to have our heads wrecked with the plot. I think two slightly more simplistic plots. Well, I'm guessing Flatliners is more simplistic. Is it? Um, I actually can't really remember the, the full plot line more than what I've just said, to be honest. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Well, Harold and Maud, I, I saw that a few years ago and I, I thought it was really sweet, uh, but it's, it's it's lovely. Yeah, so, um, so I'm going to go for heads, Connor. Is that okay? Well, I guess I'm tails. Let's okay. go. Romantic comedy. You can save Flatliners for Horror Month. <laughs> or Sci-Fi Month, I don't know. Or Julia Roberts Month. <laughs> Do I not get to put it back on week three for cult films? Oh, and you can actually, yeah, because it's not from... Yes, you can. Of course you can. But I get to put in one as well. I'm never going to get to see Flatliners. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So we will look forward to Harold and Maude next week. Um, uh, this has been Paul. And I've been Connor. And this is Silver Screamers. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye.